Hi, I'm Dr. Brian McDonough, and you're listening to Reach MD. Today we have a special guest with us. Our guest is Dr. Anthony Lembo. He is Beth Israel Deaconess Hospital, Boston, Massachusetts, at the Harvard Medical School. And you gave an interesting lecture. I just had an opportunity to see and really enjoy, which is on a, probably the most stimulating topic in the world, but at the same time, it impacts everybody's practice. And what we're talking about is constipation and issues surrounding it and treatment of constipation. And I, I, You made a lot of points, but to start off, what do you see as the major issue from your perspective as someone who treats it day in, day out, and has to deal with it as part of uh, your work? Well, well, thank you for having me, first of all. And I think, you know, constipation is is so common, and I think that's the bottom line with it. We, we, we Not only among our patients, but our, our family and ourselves, we, almost everybody's experienced constipation at some point in time. And at times, it can be quite debilitating. Uh, and I think that's the most, that's important for us to realize as clinicians is that uh, for some patients that it can really affect their overall quality of life. We need to recognize it. We need to ask about it. Patients are not always forthcoming, particularly when they see in their primary care physician. They may want to discuss, maybe discussing other things, but uh, like their blood pressure or their sugars or other other things, but really the constipation may be what's affecting their quality of life the most. So uh, as physicians, we need to uh, ask patients about their bowels, and and if we recognize that there's a problem that's impacting their quality of life, then initiate some treatments. You make a great point, Dr. Levin. I'm in family practice, and one of the things that you want to do when you're in that situation is try to think of things that your patients might be embarrassed about to talk about. I mean, I think we do a good job in younger populations of talking about STDs. I think we do a good job because of HIV and all those things associated with it. Kind of broke down a lot of those barriers. I think we do a good job of talking about erectile dysfunction because all those barriers have been broken down through television commercials and product placement. But constipation is still kind of in that, I don't want to bring it up from a patient perspective. And if they're not going to bring it up, you could go two, three, four visits, and this person could be suffering. Exactly. And the other uh, is just is, is fecal incontinence. I think that's another area that, like constipation, that's often not asked about. Patients can be embarrassed by it. Uh, I think as clinicians, we need to ask patients about their bowel function. And, and specifically, you know, if they had accidents um, associated with it, and if, they're con- if they have constipation issues, how it impacts their quality of life. How do you define constipation? I mean, I know we see babies and they'll say, my child's been constipated, and we may look at it, has there been a bowel movement in three days? Has there been this or that? And what, are, are there ways of determining constipation and, and levels of severity and concern from your perspective? Yeah, we struggle with the definition. I spent a bit of time today talking about uh, the different symptoms associated with the term constipation. So patients often come in, or we all have our own perception of what constipation is and may say, oh, I'm constipated. But you need to delve in and find out what people mean by that. So typical symptoms uh, include straining, incomplete evacuation, infrequent stools. You know, sometimes people need to do digital maneuvers or pull up their pelvic floor in order to help help them defecate. Those are all common uh, symptoms of, that people attribute or, or associate with constipation. So it can mean a lot of different things, and we need to just you know, uh, ask patients specifically what they mean by it so we can understand it better. I'm Dr. Brian McDonough. I am right now speaking with Dr. Anthony Lembo. We're in New York City at an Omnia Prova Education Seminar. We're actually in one of the break rooms talking and having an opportunity to discuss many of the points you made in your lecture. And um, in listening to your talk, there were several things I thought were very interesting. One, just down to the point of different types of stool and to recognize 
uh, what those things are from a clinical standpoint. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so I showed a, a graph of the what's called the Bristol Stool Scale, which shows a different ra- wide range of stools uh, that patients may experience, or we may all experience, in day in day out. And it's helpful for us to you know talk to patients about what what their stool consistency is like, because that can uh, give us a sense of whether their transit is fast or slow, or whether they we need to improve their consistency uh, with medications or with fiber or diet or exercise or fluid intake. Uh, so. Um, you know, understanding what their stools are like uh, is the best we can. Of course, it'll vary, and you know, uh, patients may not be exact about it. But I think we can get a pretty good sense from it. So I, I do find that graph kind of helpful, although I think it's a little hard for people to look at it for the first time. For the primary care physician, what should they be thinking about? You know, they they determine yes, this this is constipation. It's something I am worried about, and I want to now take a next step to help my patient. What is your path to provide help at that, at least at that level? Because I know you probably see people at that level, but also at a very severe level. But at that level, what do you suggest? Well, the first thing to do is to make sure that it's uh, what we call idiopathic constipation or um, at least not secondary constipation from another cause that can be reversed because that is important. So if you're seeing the person for the first or second time, um, you really want to make sure that you've, you've excluded warning-type symptoms or alarm features we talk about a lot, which include blood in the stools or older age or family history of colon cancer, uh, weight loss, uh, severe symptoms, things that may make you think that this is more than just ordinary run-of-the-mill you know, constipation that you or I or you know most of our pa- a lot of patients would experience, um, and and if you do if you if you see or if you see any of those you, you know, further testing probably should be done. I think that's where the clinician uh, it's so important for the primary care physician to understand that these are the things that they need to do. They need to see if there's blood in their stools. They need to document that. They need to check their blood count if they're not sure. Um, and again, every patient's a little different. Um, certainly, the patient that's had this for 20 years may not need extensive testing. But if you have a older person with new onset of symptoms, you need to start thinking, or at least excluding the, uh, looking for these alarm features, uh, making sure that there isn't a secondary cause uh, for it. That's the first thing that needs to be done. The second thing is to, you know, explore their uh, their diet their medications that they're taking, simple things that maybe can be changed. You know, increasing their exercise, if at all possible, can help their bowel function. I didn't talk a lot about that today, but I think that's an important thing that we as, as you know, as primary care physicians need to emphasize with patients because some patients really can benefit from doing more rigorous, uh, moderate, moderate uh, to rigorous type exercises, of course, if they're able to do so, uh, taking, you know, an adequate amount of fluid and making sure that they have plenty of fiber in their diet. I think those are the first basic things that we can do. And, and, um, and for some patients, they won't need to go on a, on a medication or a laxative. So you're trying to look, fortunately, at lifestyle and things that you can make a difference and just provide some education, some simple education. Now, let's say they now move to the point where maybe they've tried that, they've listened to you, and it, it hasn't been successful. So they're coming back and saying, you know, I, I've tried, but this is really starting to bother me more. I'm not getting much improvement. Yeah, so there we make sure that we first try some, um, you know, uh, 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 commercially available fibers, I think, if uh, depending on how much fiber is in their diet. But sometimes that uh, is easier for patients than to change their diet. So you can buy packets of, you know, psyllium, which is a uh, 
um, you know, seed, a ground-up seed that, that uh, is, is more water-soluble and I think pretty well tolerated. Um, and I find that that sometimes is important for patients. Now, it's fiber, low fiber in of itself isn't usually the cause of constipation, but depending on what patients are eating, you know, it may, it may help. Um, and then sometimes you need to move on to a, a laxative. And I think there, there are osmotic laxatives, which draw fluid into the gut. Um, and then there are stimulant laxatives, which cause contraction to the bowel. And these are over-the-counter, and, you know, and patients may go down to their local uh, pharmacy and, and have seen or tried them. Many of them have already tried uh, them. And then there you need to make sure they've done it the right way, taking them regularly, because osmotics really need to be taken regularly for most patients, again, that have chronic, long, you know, debilitating-type symptoms or, or frequent symptoms. Uh, stimulants are probably a little less frequent because they tend to cause more cramps and diarrhea. Um, but some patients, it'll be necessary to take those uh, uh, more often. But again, we try to avoid taking them too often, for having patients take them too often. So usually the over-the-counter medications will be tried or can be recommended. And then occasionally you'll need to use um, you know, a uh, prescription laxative. And, that, and I'm, I'm really talking more about the primary care setting with more mild constipation. Uh, but patients, some patients were required. And then we also discussed today about the role of, of uh, evaluating patients for a dyssynergic defecation, meaning that they have pelvic floor dysfunction. Um, and these are patients that just don't relax their pelvic floor very well. Um, and the, and the, there are ways to recognize that based on their symptoms of excessive straining, lots of stool in the rectum, sometimes using digital maneuvers to evacuate their stools. And sometimes you know, identifying those patients can be helpful because they can respond to biofeedback. And you know, depending on your, if, if, if diagnostic testing is readily available in your facility, you know, some people will get anal rectal motility testing or balloon expulsion. That can be done. Uh, if not, for some, in some people, I've gone to a lot of rural areas where it's just not available, um, and those patients may go for biofeedback. Or even the primary care setting can get retrained by their doctor if, it's, if physical therapy is not uh, readily available. Certainly in New York, it's readily available here. I'm Dr. Brian McDonough. You're listening to ReachMB, the network for medical professionals. Uh, my guest is Dr. Anthony Lembo. Dr. Lembo is from Harvard Medical School, and he is talking about constipation, which was the subject of his lecture. I go to a lot of these lectures, give a lot of these lectures, and you get questions afterward. This was one of the lectures where I saw a dramatic number of questions. In fact, we actually had to keep moving on to the next lecture because there were so many. So that indicates to me there's a need for the primary care doctor, uh, the OBGYN, women's health, all these different people who come to a conference like this to learn more. Um, you would think a common problem, people would know common solutions, but the things you're talking about and beyond really have stimulated questions. Yeah, because we're partly because we're learning more about this. Where you know the recent studies with biofeedback have shown that it, shown it to be effective, and we really hadn't had you know. Uh, uh, randomized trials until the last you know five or six years, and I think that so some of that data is new for patients. There's new treatments that are out. Um, you know, the, there's a new medication that's just becoming available called linaclotide. I think people are interested in hearing about something that's new uh, that's out there, and I think uh, there's still questions about how to use it. There, there, there aren't defined algorithms, so it does make it interesting for clinicians because there are lots of different ways to do this. Um, there's not necessarily a right or wrong way uh, for this, um, and I think one question that came up was how do, how do the newer drugs compare to what's out there in the market? Well, you know, as I explained, there, there are aren't good, you know, uh, comparative trials yet. And uh, so we don't really know um, 
you know, how they directly compare to, you know, a OTC medication. And I think that's part of the challenge, and that's why I think there's a lot of interest here. You know, that's interesting, and I want to, like, conclude this interview talking a little bit about what you see as exciting and into the future, because we talked a lot, and I think importantly so, about the basics. But what about going forward? What do you see as exciting and new information in this area? Well, uh, understanding the, the mechanism of constipation, I think, is going to be a big Big uh, a big factor. Um, I think newer therapies uh, that are coming out. We have linaclotide that's just coming out now. Uh, there'll be other uh, medications. I brought up uh, a drug called Prucalipride, which is available in Europe, uh, in Canada. And I don't often, at least in a primary care setting, bring up drugs that are you know not available in the United States. But in this case, I think you know Prucalipride. Uh, they're going to they're going to read about Prucalipride and see it in articles and some compar- comparative studies. Um, so it's it's good for them to know, and it has a similar mechanism um, to you know tegaserod, which is a prokinetic drug that was taken off the market that we used commonly in a, a GI world. Um, so I thought it was interesting from their perspective for the, to, to discuss it at least, and, and we may see that drug in the future. And there are other trials that are ongoing uh, with other products. So I, I think there'll be more interest in the years to come, and uh, hopefully more treatments too. Is there something I didn't ask you that you think is important that you'd like to talk about that, you know, in this brief interview we didn't have a chance to talk about or discuss? Well, we didn't discuss uh, the role of, like, uh, uh, diagnostic testing. You know, um, the question that comes up frequently is when do I need to do a colonoscopy? Does everybody need to? Because that's the primary care in the office sees the patient and they're trying to figure out is there a secondary cause and, you know, should I just do a colonoscopy on patients? And and, and I think I, I brought up the fact that uh, most of the GI societies have recommendations not to do routine colonoscopies in everybody with constipation. Um, and that if someone's over the age of 50 for a routine screening, that's recommended. But if they're under the age of 50 and they have no alarm features, that you don't necessarily have to put everybody through uh, a colonoscopy, at least not initially. But you do have to evaluate for, for alarm features. And, again, I think that's the, the first line uh, with these patients. first thing to do with these patients is to make sure they don't have a secondary cause. And that's what the primary care is really going to be seen in, in their office. Well, Dr. Anthony Lembo, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk with us. I think it's definitely a topic of interest, and it's something where a great deal of people, I think, benefited from your being here today and hopefully from listening to this talk and interview today. I'm Dr. Brian McDonough. Thank you for listening. Again, our guest has been Dr. Anthony Lembo. Dr. Lembo is from Beth Israel Deaconess Hospital, Boston, Massachusetts, and the Harvard Medical School. I'm Dr. Brian McDonough. Talk to you soon.